This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're now listening to Boomsies with Dan O'Toole on the Bet Rivers Network. I'm going to start the podcast by stealing a line from one of my favorite shows, Office Hours. I think I've expressed my love for Tim and Eric. Comedians who are, I believe, two of the most influential comedians of the 2000s. Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job. Tim Heidecker hosts Office Hours with DJ Doug Pound and Vic Berger. It's a show about nothing, but it's amazing. I love it. And Vic, uh, they all have a little way of saying hello. And he says, uh, what's up, everybody? So I'm still in that. Just for this. What's up, everybody? Bamsies. Tim and Eric. Whatever I do, uh, I do a lot of podcasts. And people ask how... Uh, how Jay and I met and how we bonded and stuff. And I always point to us bonding over Tim and Eric. Dive onto YouTube if you've never seen them and look at their stuff. It is off the wall, bonkers, hilarious. If you've never seen their, their character, spook it. You're missing out on life. Good news, cigarette juice. They, they sell a product in which it's cigarette juice. It makes no sense. And spaghetti. So I, I could go on and on. So check out that on YouTube. Tim and Eric. Awesome show. Great job. Check out Office Hours. They do a two-hour show every week. The first hour is free on YouTube. And then the second hour is behind a paywall on Patreon. My first ever Patreon membership was to Office Hours. They have uh, great guests. It's, uh, it's just a fun time. Great vibe. So, Tim, there's kind of a correlation to... To his career mind. He was he was paired with someone. He was paired with Eric forever. And then they uh 
they ventured out on their own. So he's doing that now. I was paired with Jay forever. I'm doing this now. So there's kind of a a similarity in a way. Love that guy. Look at anything he's done. He does cooking videos. What he does with mustard. The premise is he's got to incorporate this mustard into into a recipe. And it just goes off the rails. What's up, everybody? It's episode 43 of Boomsies. The Raul Mondesi edition. He wore number 43 as a Blue Jay. Then in retirement, he became a mayor of a city or a town in the Dominican Republic and then got sentenced to eight years for corruption charges for when he was mayor. So I was thinking, what the hell? What did he do as mayor? Considering what politicians have done in North America. On a well beyond mayor level of power. And they don't see a second of jail time. They don't even get charged with anything. Yet he was mayor and he got eight years in prison. So uh, I looked it up. They did an audit. And it showed that he bought a bunch of toys, some tires, (laughs) and a bunch of other stuff. (laughs) And he got eight years. So he's got to be sitting in prison. He's like, what about those guys? Why don't they go to prison? I just got some tires for my car. I got some toys for the kids. I got some groceries. Eight years, buddy. Did they let him try, like, give the money back? Raul Mondesi. At first, when I saw eight years, I'm like, oh, crap, he murdered someone. But like, oh, corruption. I'm like, I guess that's better than murder. No one died. Corruption. It's better than murder. And then in our show notes, Z Money but the best number 43 in NHL history would have been Marty B. Wrong. But he could also have been the player choice for episode zero of Boomsies. Because during the 95-96 season, Buffalo called up B. Wrong from the queue and he wore the number double zero for three games. Beginning the next season, the NHL banned players from wearing the number zero or zero zero because they confused the league's digital database. Today, only numbers 1 through 98 are available. Why not 99? No one's allowed to wear 99? Oh, right. So, it's the Mar- Marty B. Wrong. There's the Marty B. Wrong rule in the NHL. And he also hit Jennifer Hedger with a t-shirt gun. Just <laughs> belted her. That's a famous moment on Canadian television history. Our guest this week is Jason Gay from the Wall Street Journal. If you don't know him, you're going to become good buddies with him. 
got a book coming out. Well, it's, it's out now. Hopefully he sends me one. I like books. I've currently got 25 on my bedside table. I'm about uh, halfway through all of them. And it's now so daunting. I'm like, oh, God, I got a lot of these books to finish. Well, I'll put that off till tomorrow. But I keep adding to them. Jason Gay's book will get added to it. I'll be halfway through that. Being halfway through something is better than being no way through anything. That's my motto. I just came up with it. We've got some uh, listener calls to get to. We've got listener emails. Uh, buddy was in town. Superfly. You heard him on our NHL preview. And we had NHL fans from across uh, Canada. Superfly was our Vancouver Canucks correspondent. So he came in. He came in to watch the Leafs and Canucks. Well, why didn't you watch it? Why didn't you watch that in Vancouver? Because he's at, we're at dinner. He's lo- he didn't have any tickets. He's looking at prices online. He was about to hit buy on tickets that were seven fifty, and I'm like, oh, that's for both of them? No, that's for each of them. Seven fifty each. I'm like, do not pay that. Do not pay seven fifty. To go to a hockey game. So he eventually got tickets. I think they were top level. And they were like 280 each. I warned him. I said, it's steep up there. Like. Real steep. Like scary steep. He got to his seats. He goes, these, ste- these seats are steep. Told you. So before he went to the game, drove down. I'm like, let's let's get some dinner. It's a Saturday night in Toronto. Good luck getting reservations. So I gave a call to my buddy. I'll leave out all names here so we don't uh, get anyone in trouble. My buddy didn't do anything. I just called him up. I said, hey, your, your friend owns a restaurant. Any chance we can get in there? He goes, give him a call. Sent me his number. So I called the guy. He's like, oh, we're, we're really busy. We're book solid. Give me a couple of minutes. We'll uh, we'll move some things around, and we'll squeeze you in. I'm like, okay, perfect. Calls back ten minutes later. Can you make it here for five? I said, we will be there. We'll be there ten minutes to five. He goes, got to be out in an hour and a half. I said, no problem. They got to get to the game. This works out perfect. So I pick up my buddy and his wife. We drive down to the restaurant, walk in, restaurant's empty. There is, there was one other table. So I'm like, they really, they really squeezed us in. So they, they rush us to our table. We got a nice uh, window side seat. He comes over. He's like, okay, you, you're friends with I'm leaving out names. And again, I'm only telling this story so hopefully what happened doesn't happen to someone else. Comes over, he's like, uh, hey, you're friends with so-and-so? It means you're friends and family here. I'm like, well, this is great. He goes, anything you want? You got it. I'm, I'm like, okay, this, this is how I like to dine. 
So he starts firing off all the all the specials. The specials. The list was bigger than the menu. So he's talking about some eggplant lasagnas, some calamari, some some beef cheeks, some, some halibut. I'm like, wow, this all sounds great. She's like, okay. And then he left. Waiter comes over. You guys ready to order? We're like, yeah, okay. So we order a calamari. We order some other stuff. Ten minutes later, the guy who gave the specials comes back and goes, what the f*** are you doing? He didn't say the F word. He's like, why are you ordering from two people? I'm like, Whoa. we didn't order from you. He's like, you ordered everything. I'm like, ah, uh, we did? I, I'm sitting with two other adults. I know when I've ordered and when I haven't. He's like, now we got all this calamari. The, you're throwing the, the kitchen at a, for a loop. I'm like, oh, my God. I guess we'll just bring it out then, I guess. Next time you order for one person. I'm like, oh my God. I'd never been scolded at a restaurant. In my 47 years on this earth, I'd never been scolded. So we're sitting there we're like, did we, did we f- up? Are we going to get kicked out? So they start bringing out food. Three calamari. <laughs> Three calamaris. The lasagna. I never, I don't eat eggplant lasagna. A bunch of other stuff. So we're like, okay, well, we're friends and family. This stuff, like, uh, these are like the appies. We're going to get, this stuff's going to be comp. Don't worry. We ate all the calamari. We're like, we can't send this stuff back. We, we got to finish this or he's going to get mad. We even finished the eggplant lasagna. My buddy's like, well, he's like, I, I don't really like lasagna. I'm like, can eat it. Shut up. So finally, we, we finished the meal. It was delicious. It was, a, it was a great meal. So I'm like, we're friends and family. I bet you a bill doesn't even come. So waiter comes back. I'm like, can, these guys got to get to the game. Can we? They got to they sit in some steep seats. Can we get the bill? He's like, yeah, no problem. Brings it over. I try to grab my buddy. He's like, no, this is on me. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's probably, there's probably a tip. That's all we got to give. Oh, we got charged for everything. All the calamaris, the lasagna, everything. So, so I'm thinking, did, were we part of a, a scam here? Was this a good cop, bad cop? Was this what they do? He comes over. The, the, then the waiter comes over. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. And then you feel bad. You're like, oh, no, no, just bring it all out. And then you pay for a bunch of food you didn't order. In that situation, if someone tells you specials, are you supposed to think you've ordered? So we just left our heads spinning. <laughs> we walk out. We all literally look at each other and say, what just happened? So that was, <laughs> we didn't check the, the receipt in the restaurant. We got it to the vehicle. So I'm going through it. My buddy's like, don't even tell me. I'm like, they're all here. All the calamaris, the lasagna. It's all here. He goes, I f-ing hate lasagna. Well, it's here. And it was $24. Those calamaris, $24 each.
Oh boy. <laughs> what are you fucking order from two people for? Ah, uh, what? I could see if it was like my first time at a restaurant. Or if they were speaking another language than me. I could see there was confusion. But that was my, I don't know, 2000th trip to a restaurant. I've ordered before. I know how it works. And should the guy have given the specials and the waiter not been on the same page? Yeah. Yeah, we read the we read the situation wrong. How would how do we know? We don't work there. So next time this happens to you, if you get the specials told you, and then the waiter comes say, did we just order? Then they will look at you like you're crazy. They're like, what are you talking about? Well, he gave me the specials. Does that mean we just ordered them all? And every other person will say, no, those are just the specials. When someone tells you the specials, it doesn't mean you've ordered them. Now get out of this restaurant. You freak. So my buddy was in attendance uh, for the Borea Salming tribute. I saw that when I got home and I was just, I, I retweeted it. That was one of the most emotional things I've ever seen in my life. Knowing what ALS does to a human. I uh, have a friend whose father passed away from it. I have a cousin who passed away just in the last year. It hits you so hard that my cousin sent me a text on a Thursday. He's like, Dan, I've always loved you. And just, he, I won't get into the details, but he said, I just wanted to send you a text. On Sunday, he passed away. He did assisted suicide. He said he didn't want to get to a point where where he had to be bedridden, where people had to change his clothes. He said, I don't want to get I don't want to be a burden on people. I just want to go out on my own terms. So on a Thursday since the text, Sunday he's he's passed away. So to see Borea. He's lost the ability to speak, but your, your body shuts down, but your brain is still functioning like it always has. So Borea knew when he was at center ice, that would be his last time there. That'd be his last time in front of Leafs fans. And just, oh man. Just watching that was, if you didn't feel anything watching that, then you don't have a soul. I don't care if you hate the Leafs. I don't care if you hate hockey. If you don't feel something watching that, then I don't know what's wrong with you. And people that that send out like, oh, watch the Boria thing. Someone's cutting onions in here. Stop with the cutting onions. 
please. Just say I f***ing bawled. Just say I cried. Oh, pretty dusty in here. Oh, f***ing cotton onions in the dust. Just say you cried. Stop with the cotton onions, please. Oh, pretty dusty in here. No, I cried. I cried like a baby. Just say it. Sorry. That restaurant. That restaurant really threw me for a loop. But I didn't. But I didn't order anything. Yeah, you did. Are you sure? Yeah, I was here. So was I, though. There was two other. There was only one of you. There was three of us. We know what happened. Do you really, though? Here's another calamari. Eat it. But we didn't order it. Yes, you did. Calamari. The next day, calamari's showing up at my doorstep. You ordered it to go. Don't you remember? No, this didn't happen. Calamari for life. I don't want calamari for the rest of my life. I've had too much. Put that octopus back in the ocean. So Christmas is coming. Go to 10fed.com. You get some candles. Every single candle purchased feeds 10 people. You buy a candle for a present and you're helping out 10 people. They smell great. I cooked something here the other night and I hate the smell of cooking in my house. In the past, I used to, after I cooked something greasy or whatever, I'd I put a frying pan on the stove, put some uh, vanilla extract in there, a little cinnamon with some water, boil that up. Does an okay job of getting rid of the smell. Now, I light up that 10-fed candle. That smell is gone. And it smells great. Ron's cat dreams. And also, you're done smelling bad. 10fed.com. Don't forget to get those for your uh, stocking stuffers. All those. Santa. Santa has to get those for the stocking stuffers. So Santa, hopefully he's listening. Santa, big fan of this podcast. Uh, a lot of emails and we also have some, uh, we have one text. One text came in and it wasn't about uh, me being a MILF. So that's good. No, not, not sorry, Dill. I got the Delph and the MILF mixed up. No MILFy, just a Delphi. The one text this week was, have you visited the great city of Grand Rapids, Michigan? No. Here's uh, some emails. Hi, Dan. I really enjoyed listening to your podcast. Sorry, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. I recently listened to the one where you talked about Costco and how you don't have a membership. I just wanted to let you know if you sign up for a membership and are not satisfied with it, they'll refund your, your membership. I work at Costco. He put in brackets. They also sell a big case of Zivia there for a lot less than the grocery store. Also, you were right about Zivia not being the right beverage of choice for the podcast. It definitely makes you burp a lot. I love the stuff, though. Keep up the great work. Love the pod. Matt from Halifax. 
Okay, maybe I'll give that Costco a little a tester. Still on the fence. It's, it's a big commitment. Hey, Toolsy, just listened to episode 42, and I'm totally on board with your raisin and cilantro take. Raisins, you're done. Cilantro, you're done. Why would anyone on the planet ruin good food with a dried up little piece of fruit turds? Pecan butter tarts don't need fruit turds. We are raising awareness to ban fruit turds. Well played. Big dog, Rob. We are raising awareness to ban fruit turds. That's how I'll now refer to them. Fruit turds. Good day, Dan. One thing uh, that is, oh, whoop. good day, good day. Good day, Dan. One thing that has really helped me have better mornings is drinking a cup of sleepy time tea. Oh, so you have that at night. You don't have this. You don't wake up and say, it's time to go back to bed. Okay, so have some sleepy time tea. I generally sleep like a log when I drink it and certainly feel sharper when I wake up. Doesn't work for everyone, but it does the trick for me. Definitely worth a try. If you like green tea, cheers, Doc. This is in reference to how I said I uh, I hate mornings. I, I don't get it. I, I wake up and I'm like, wow, why? It's morning again. And usually half hour later, I'm like, okay, life's good. But when I wake up, I'm like, this. Shit. I don't know why. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fix it. Hey, Dan, love the podcast. I just wanted to give you some of the info you're looking for. Number one, to get better sleep, here's an app called Sleep Calculator. It isn't foolproof, but it does work sometimes. Number two, you mentioned watching the World Series. Don't you have some negative thoughts about the Houston Astros? They cheated to win a World Series in 2017. In my opinion, every member of that team should be banned for life. I told you I don't like the Astros. And how on that final game against the Phillies, Joe Davis kept saying like, hey, just so you know, there's only like a couple of the, a couple of those guys left on this team. They tried to smooth it over, but still they're the Astros and I don't like them. And number three, being from the United States, Canada just seems like a wonderful place of peace and harmony. I actually visited once when I was a kid. The Ontario Provincial Police are the nicest police force I've ever met. But since you live in Canada, do you ever feel like you live in a country that is the in an apartment over a meth lab? The meth lab being the United States. We're in trouble down here. I just hope Canada and yourself survive. Keep up the great work and get those Mounties looking for Ron. Shane from the States. <laughs> he visited as a kid and he loved the OPP. <laughs> what happened? Why were you talking to the Ontario Provincial Police as a child? What went on on your visit? <laughs> Very strange. The, I need Shane, if you can email us back, I want to know why you met the police as a child. And that's what you remember about your trip. The OPP went to Canada. They got nice cops. That OPP... Make sure you have a chat with them. But I, I don't want to talk to the cops. Well, you should. Tina. 
First tip, this is from Tina. First tip, the most important thing for waking up ready to take on the day is a good night's sleep. Hey, I get like, I get a good night's sleep. If you don't sleep enough, six to eight hours, nothing will help in the morning unless you are my Dan who literally sleeps three hours and then pops up awake and never drowsy. It irks me even though I'm a morning person. I get six to eight hours every night. Sleep's not the problem. I sleep like a baby. Second thing to help me get started is coffee and yoga. Just 10 minutes, sun salutations. Thirdly, have one thing totally awesome to look forward to during each day. Run, bike, pampering, favorite dish to eat, etc., etc. Tina. Okay, I like that last one. Definitely in the winter I need that because uh, I'd always have, okay, I get to golf today. Can't wait. In the winter, I get the shovel today. Oh, I got the sauna. Sauna. Hey, Dan, can we get an update on your engineless car? You still paying for that thing? Thanks, Lonnie. I do have an update. So I have a car. Engine, he broke. Engine, she gone. It's been sitting at a garage. The gentleman at the garage texted me last week. He's like, "Uh, I don't want to plow around this thing. What are you doing with it? So uh, that gave me a lot of anxiety. Called my cousin. I'm like, hey, do you know do you know anyone who can fix this car? He's like, I got a guy. So this guy's like, I will fix that car. Text the garage. I said, okay, we, we got somewhere. We're gonna tow it to. He texts me back. I think we got a I think we found an engine. So now we got two people possibly fixing it, but it's still sitting there not being able to be used. So hopefully we'll have a, we'll have a not on the fence update on that car because I can't wait to drive it again. I love that car. She broke though. Still got it. I own two cars. Only one is here. Thanks for asking, Lonnie. We're tight on time, so we'll get to those, those other emails and our voicemails next week. If you want to send us a voicemail, 289-796-2001 or send us a text, 289-796-2001. We'll get to Boomsies Newsies next week. I want to leave enough time so we get uh, the full Jason Gay effect. I had an intro written for him here. Hang on. Bear with me, Tim. Hang on. Tim's freaking out right now. Okay. Here we go. Our guest this week, just a great guy to chat with, writes for the Wall Street Journal, just wrote a book. We also used to work together. Here is Mr. Jason Gay. Jason, let's start with something you wrote about in detail. The Buffalo Bills game from Sunday against the Vikings. Uh, I'm going to tell you this. I, uh, I was playing with the kids. I said, kids, let me watch the end of this football game. Vikings get stopped on the goal line. 40 seconds ago, I'm like, this game's over. I did yeah. not know what happened in that football game until I saw the highlights on the Sunday nighter at halftime that I was oblivious that I missed the greatest football game of the entire season. Something, the, a game you couldn't even wrap your head around. 
<laughs> I was in the same boat. I turned it on. I don't expect much from 1 p.m. Uh, football games, Dan. I, 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 I tend to feel that they are on the undercard of excitement. And that game I turned on late in the fourth quarter. And you're right. That crazy stuff happened that seemed like it was going to end the game. And then more crazy stuff happened. And I wouldn't call it a classic. I wouldn't call it a masterpiece. But it was definitely the most bizarre game I've seen in a very long time. I have not seen a quarterback sneak stuff at the goal line followed immediately by the opposite quarterback fumbling and giving the team the, I mean just like it was an astonishing series of blunders yeah and usually I would have gone to Twitter and checked on that but I don't spend as much time on Twitter now so I pose this question to you so say Twitter dies yeah. which the worst investment in the history of the world by Elon Musk. Where, what do we do now? Are we a better place without Twitter? Is it a better world because that hellscape is gone? Well, I think to how the dynamic around watching sports has changed under social media. In the olden days, Dan, and we're both old <laughs> enough to remember the olden days. Of course. When we'd be watching a sporting event and we had a pithy thing to say, we were trapped. We could only say it to the people we were in the room with. Maybe, maybe you would pick up the phone and call somebody and tell them your pithy observation about the game. But that was it. Now, this impulse to just announce every feeling about everything, not just in sports, but in the world, is so baked into our beings. And I should you know, specify here, it's especially baked into the media economy and media boobs like you and I. I mean, we're the ones who are so insufferable that we feel that the world needs to hear everything we have to say. I say this especially as a newspaper columnist, that it's hard to imagine what it'll be like to going back. Am I going to have to stand on the street corner like Newsy style with holding up the Wall Street Journal and hard copy and ringing a bell and saying, you know, hear ye, hear ye, hear my thoughts about the Bills and the Vikings? I, I don't know because it's, it's become such an instinct, such sort of like a phantom limb attachment that we have to it. But there's a big part of me that feels that the overall will be good, that we will, you know, stop a lot of just unnecessarily, you know, aggressive and abusive uh, treatment of people. And, I, and that we can get to a sort of hopefully more a less toxic place. It's not to like diminish the fact that I know for a great many people, Twitter has been this amazing place to meet people and develop community and in some cases really change lives. But there has been a lot of junk and there's been a lot of junk for a really long time. Well, there's a discussion on Twitter about where people will go if it folds. I was completely tuned out once someone in the discussion was what server are you on? I'm like, what the, what, what are we talking? What are we, what are yeah. we talking about here? Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't someone just copy how I've never built an app, but can't you just copy Twitter? Yeah. It seems pretty basic. Yeah. I, I think Mastodon is your and my version of the VCR joke that we used to tell about our grandparents and parents, right? Like, like they can't even figure out a VCR. Like, how to program it now, like Matt, I look at something like that and I'm like, I'm out. That's it. You know, if it means just being alone with my thoughts, I'm okay. Yeah. It's people are, 
as you said, people, it's kind of ingrained in this now not to have a one screen experience. If you sit through a movie now and you don't check your phone or leave the room, it feels like you've accomplished something. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you something. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my family, we all went to Hamilton. We were the last people in North America to see it. And uh, we sat there. Oh, you didn't for- go to Hamilton, Ontario. I thought you went to Hamilton, Ontario. Oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah, were you yeah. doing there? Hamilton, the, uh, the musical, I should specify. Okay. Hamilton, Ontario, many times, many times took the family. Uh, the musical, and it's two hours and 45 minutes long. It is the most attention my family has collectively paid to anything in our entire existence as a family. I don't think we have ever paid attention to anything that closely. <laughs> Tribute to uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda for writing something that could captivate people that way. But like, yeah, I just, the idea of the unbroken attention span, the idea that you would, as you said, have one screen in a sports viewing experience, just so I'm just going to watch this ball game, is becoming so foreign to us that, yeah, it will be an adjustment if there isn't an alternative type of site. I'm always shocked also, and you were close to this, no television show ever really has successfully integrated social media into the broadcast. I've not seen it. You know, they all tried to do versions of it, right? Live tweets or live tweet us here at this and that. But in your estimation, has anyone ever come close to kind of finding the, you know, taking the the metabolism of social media and putting it into something as you know, strangely confined as television can be. Uh, I haven't seen it. I was watching a Dateline the other night and they have these things pop up where you're supposed to tweet them. So okay. it's talking about uh, Bill and his wife and it's uh, the husband always is the murderer. So the, it was like a thing like, have, what would you do if your neighbor's husband killed his wife? And it was like, what? What, is, what are we doing here? And we're, uh, yeah, so they're trying really hard to make it uh, an experience on your phone and in the show, but yeah, nothing's really worked. Uh, No, what really worked, it wasn't a a phone experience, but you had to go to a store. Remember, you had to get 3D glasses. You had to go to a store to watch it. It'd be a big night where they'd show a 3D movie on TV. (laughs) Why don't they do that anymore? That was great advertising because they'd be Pepsi or Coke glasses or potato chip glasses. Why I don't they do that? 3D, I, I think there was a 3D Super Bowl halftime show once, if I'm not mistaken. It sounds like there was, right? It sounds like something that probably happened. Uh, that sounds. I, like I think the only show that kind of has figured out the, and it's not even really a second screen experience, but remember that show on VH1, uh, pop-up video? Oh, I love that. That was a yeah. great show. Right? So it was a show on a show, right? You had the actual music videos, and so you could enjoy just the music. But then it had this other show, which was to give you little minutiae and sometimes pretty hilarious, like gossip about the behind the scenes of these videos. Great show. Great. I think that's the closest anyone's ever come to kind of like combining those two forces. How is that show not coming back? Everything old is new again. Neon colors are back in. Uh, all these retro jerseys, I don't know how to feel about them, are back in the NHL. And they yeah. used to be jerseys where people were like, oh, my God, they were god-awful. Now they're back. People are like, I love them. Why'd they ever get rid of them? Can I ask you a question? Uh, and you can sure. sort this out for me. I, I was curious to hear you say jersey because on the occasion that I have said hockey jersey, I have heard from the sweater police. Uh, hockey fans who say that even if they're poly blend, you know, super Adidas Reebok things, that they are still technically 
hockey sweaters. What's the ruling? I call it a jersey. I never okay. call it a sweater. And I never say hockey. Americans, you guys always have to specify ice hockey. You guys yeah, don't just right. say hockey. You say ice hockey. <laughs> I, I assume there will be some World Cup coverage. Uh, oh, yeah. World Cup in November. And oh, it's yeah. in a place where they've got uh, human rights issues. How do we feel about this with the Wall Street Journal? What's your Not stance? Not great. Not great. I mean, and I feel like this has become sadly routine that... Uh, because of the expense and because of the conditions that are being put upon host countries by these uh, governing bodies to, you know, bid, uh, you're getting a whole like, you know, a, a, you know, continuous cycle of autocracies that are bidding on these games. So we're coming off of the Winter Olympics in uh, China, which, you know, similar kind of atmosphere going into it. Lots of concerns about China as the host the optics of that, whether or not the you know an autocratic government was using it to sort of sports wash its image, certainly the same questions apply to Doha. Uh, and then on top of it, you know the environmental concern of what the heck are we doing playing this game in ninety degree temperatures in November? Why are, why is this happening at all? You know this thing just logistically didn't make sense from the jump. Uh, and I hope you know I'm starting to see evidence that. You know, the public's appetite for this is no longer that, you know, it once was able to maybe stomach the poor optics of a bad host, but that increasingly this is not the kind of thing the public's going to tolerate. Now, is it going to manifest in lower television ratings, which is really the thing that will hit people where it hurts? I don't know. World Cups are incredibly, you know, telegenic, uh, popular, you know, content. And it's pretty hard to imagine that if people's host, if people's countries are not are represented in there, they're not going to watch. But I don't think you're going to see, you know, Doha get it again. Here's what I see, or that actually, it's not just what I see. It what It's what happens before every World Cup happens before every Olympics. Before every World Cup, there's, why did they get it? Do you know what's going on there? Yeah. Have you seen, they aren't even ready. It yeah. happens before every Olympics. The The stadiums aren't ready in Russia. There's yeah. wild dogs everywhere. And then once the event begins, sports takes over. And people well, are like, you, you forget all those conversations pre-tournament or pre-Olympics because sports takes over. You're, you're right. And that is definitely what the governing bodies count on. The idea that eventually just the, product itself will overwhelm all the sort of pre-tournament uh, negativity and you'll have you know just this wash of stories about the action on the field. I think what's a little unusual about uh, Cutter and the situation there is that I have not seen a circumstance where you have the over overseeing body, which is FIFA, just nakedly coming out and telling the media and telling the team specifically to just brush the politics under the rug in advance before this thing has even got underway. They're kind of like, now is time to focus on the football. Now, of course, that's the kind of thing they said privately forever about sporting events. Like we want you to keep politics off the field, etc. But for them to sort of come out and just publicly admonish teams is kind of amazing and really kind of shows the why the public is fatigued of all this and why they won't, might not be able to hold their nose much longer. Yeah, it's uh, well, soccer, soccer in the Olympics. I don't know who's shadier the the governing bodies of who would you if rank them first soccer. and second? Who's shadier? Soccer's yeah. shadier. Soccer, yes. So uh, the, the the yeah, I mean, listen, neither one of them is a pristine thing, and they have 
all kinds of ugly history, both of them, but I, I would put soccer ahead. On a lighter note, you decided to write a book. <laughs> you decided to write a book. It's, it's called I Wouldn't Do That If I Were Me. Yeah. I want to read an excerpt. Uh, I got this from the, the Literary Hub. <laughs> so the, the excerpt is We Need More Ointment, The Exquisite Banality of Married Texting. Yeah. So yeah. you're talking about uh, <laughs> you and your wife are texting. Do you mind yeah. if I read this? Is it, is uh, it weird to hear your own words? You know, I don't want to put your readers, uh, your listeners to sleep. My readers are. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. Okay. So you're talking about uh, ointment uh, that you had to bring home. And she said, no, get the not gel, the ointment. So at least the ointment message was coherent. Correct. Once in a hurry, Bessie accidentally texted me this. Your dad died. It arrived matter-of-factly on my phone, and there was a 90-second gap in which I was completely stunned. I'd just seen my dad. We'd played tennis. He seemed good. I'm so sorry your dad called. To this day, I'm not still sure I buy her explanation that, in a rush, the phone simply corrected called to died. What phone autocorrects called to died? That seems like a rather insidious problem with the software or a tremendous prank by my wife. I found that rather amusing. And the whole uh, chapter about uh, texting, how in the early days you were excited to get a text. And now it's become almost a chore. We ruin everything, don't we? We ruin every <laughs> yes. mode of communication there is. You know, once we were excited to get a phone call, believe it or not, you'd come home, you would check your voicemails. Like, it was exciting to get a voicemail. You might replay it. I can't tell you the last time I listened to a voicemail in its entirety. Email has gone the same way. Email basically feels like junk mail at this point. And texts are getting into that category, too, especially if you've been married for some time, if I have, as I have. And I remember, you know, those days when my wife, you know, you get a text from your wife or not even my wife at the time, you know, late at night, you wonder, OK, what's up here? This is exciting. Uh, we don't text like that anymore. It is uh, purely an information exchange. It is uh, demands based, uh, typically involving errands to be run or errands not run. Uh, and so basically it was, a, yeah, it was a comment on that banality, which I think is going to be familiar to mostly anybody who's been in any kind of relationship. Forget marriage. I mean, our relationships with our, I mean, you probably are the only, uh, strong text thread in my life now is with a group of friends, you know, college buddies who Same. are 20 years, 25 years after the fact, still arguing about the same stupid stuff we argued about 25 years ago. And, and that is the only sort of like text that I, I put any energy into. And I'm ashamed to say. Yeah. Yeah. I have the same. I have it with, uh, with actually three people. Jay and I worked with at Fox and the, the two of us and we just, uh, yeah, it's kind of your escape from sure. normalcy and other forms of texting because you have some people in your life. I have I have the red thing on my text. So if I've read it. It says red, and then I respond. I saw a tweet yesterday. People were like, people that leave the reds on their texts are psychotic because they want people to know they've read your text, but they aren't going to respond. Uh-huh. Are, we, are we really getting into this? Is this is this where we're going with this now? 
Come on. I, I feel like I saw something somewhere where someone explained uh, how you could insidiously kind of keep that like I'm working on a text bubble circulating on your, uh, you know, potential recipient screen for a long time, even if you weren't <laughs> going to send them a text to just keep them like wrapped in attention, waiting for you to write something only to not yeah. write something. That seems pretty cruel. The text bubbles pretty funny when it goes on for a while and you're like oh no what's coming and then the response is like sure you're like what the hell did you work on and then erase what was coming to reduce it to <laughs> sure you we know, should I'm, know that they're typing we should know that they're responding i have a friend and you know you always people will defend technology always dan by saying like you know, it's increased reliability, communication, we're better in touch with each other, you know, we have the ability to like, you know, adapt plans. And I have a friend who said this the great thing a couple of years ago to me, he was like, you know, when I think back to my child or my teenage years, we did this all by phone, you know, oftentimes pay phones. And I really only remember missing one thing, you know, like all those years, you know, like you just kind of like made a plan and you did the plan. Yeah, and it showed up. And it exactly, was you had a time. You showed up at that time in the set location. Yeah, and 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 it kind of worked for a solid few thousand years. <laughs> I know. It's. I loved it. I had uh, there was a stretch about ah, uh, this is pre-pandemic, so probably three, four years ago. I went a month without a phone. It was liberating. Yeah. No yeah. one could get mad at you for not texting back. Where were you? I, they knew I didn't have a phone. So if you couldn't call me, you didn't know where I was. And if I said I was going to be somewhere, I'd be there. It was like I was living on a, an island I'd never been to before. Yet Did that's how we like used to live. Did you feel you had like literally had more time in your day? Like just you had a whole bunch. Of I found time. the anxiety and stress of the device was just lifted from me. Yeah. We shouldn't have that. That much access to every problem, every solution in the world and every person in our life. We shouldn't have all that yeah. in one little device. That's too much info. Sure. Not to mention the, you know, we talked about social media at the top that like, you know, the we've added this dynamic now of arguments with strangers, you know, like oh, yeah. it, it, all of us are navigating personal lives of full of potential complication with ones we love, uh, neighbors, community members. And yet we've also found a way to just get into it with people we don't even know exist, you know, because they're yes. often operating behind strange handles and pseudonyms and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, like in terms of adding anxiety to your life, it's no shock that you see study after study uh, establishing that it has added anxieties, particularly to young people. I, 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 you know, I'm one of the many who cannot imagine coming of age at this time in the world and having to deal with the dynamic of adolescence, but on top of it, the dynamic of social media adolescence, I just, I, I don't know how they do it. Do you know the, uh, the new, the new app it's called uh, be real. Oh yes. Are you in... That one is like, show us what you're doing right now. And you got two minutes to do it. It's like, hold you a gunpoint. I have, you have to take a I, picture. So people that don't know, be real is <laughs> it, it, they send you a notification. You got to be real right now. So you take a picture and it takes the picture of the front camera and the back camera. Right. So it'd be great if you're trying to catch a spouse who's like 
uh, stepping out on you or something. <laughs> they take the picture and they're like, oh, they're at dinner with so-and-so. I knew it. We got them. So it's probably screwed up a lot of people's lives in a way. I've seen it deployed like, you know, I, I don't have it on my phone, but I definitely have friends and family members who do. And I've seen it like come up like we'll be having dinner or something and like be at a social occasion. But what happens like if you're working? Like what happens if you were on the air and like you got be real? Are you tethered to that uh Social contract of be real above everything else that you have to be real. In you're allowed to be late. That's what I, I ask my kids. Uh, okay. I'm like, if you're late, do you get penalized? Do you get in trouble? They're like, no, you just post late. I'm like, oh, okay. But you're left. That gave me that gave me anxiety. I'm like, oh my god, do you get yeah. kicked off the app if you're late? What <laughs> what if I'm in court? What if like I'm pulled over by a cop? Sorry, buddy, I gotta. Well, they did an but SNL skit on it where the people were robbing real. a bank. What if the cop gets be reeled when they're asking for your license <laughs> and registration? How about that? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, is there a chapter on Crowd Goes Wild in uh, your new book? <laughs> uh, you know, that is actually going to be a three-part memoir. You know, one, <laughs> one, one, one book for each month the show is on the air. Uh, you know, well, let, I, me, let me interject and give the... the, the... <laughs> The information, Crowd Goes Wild was a show on FS1 where Jay and I had our uh, Fox, what the hell did we call that show? Fox, Fox Sports Live. Live. Yeah. yeah, Fox yeah, Sports Live. Yeah. Ours was a three-hour show daily. Crowd Goes Wild was a one-hour show, Monday to Friday? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it was hosted by Regis Philbin. It was yeah. his last TV gig. Yeah. And Jason was on the show. And to your credit, and people should know, it was a watchable show. I actually enjoyed your program. It was just, um, it cost a lot of money to make, didn't it? I, I believe it cost a lot of money. Uh, but everything that you say about it is both accurate and kind of shocking to hear in real time. Like, it was a sports show that was one hour. It had, like, six people on a panel, one of whom, myself, had, you know, 13 minutes of television experience before getting on the air. And then it was hosted by a gosh darn legend, Regis Philbin, who had more live television experience than anyone in television history. Yeah. I look back at it this way. I can't, ima- I can't believe that it actually happened. I'm so grateful that it did because it was such a gas. I didn't have much skin in the game. You know, I was a newspaper columnist. I figured I was going to die a newspaper columnist. But then the added part of it is I got to be around this, you know, legend, Regis, who was every bit the character that you thought he would be and uh, had incredible stories. And, and I, I'm very glad about one thing, which is that I did try to like spend a little part of every day kind of just hanging out with him because you never knew what he would just start talking about. You know, this was somebody who shook hands with Frank, as they say, right? You know, he was somebody who knew everybody and everything and had this extraordinary career. And I, I you know, I wouldn't ch- trade that experience. And, you know, he loved you guys. I mean, you guys developed a, uh, you had both the on-air banter rivalry, but also a genuine friendship off the air, which I thought yeah, was he was, uh, he was very nice to us. And I remember, were you at the, uh, so before the network launch, we had a, a big conference or meeting out in LA at uh, Terranea. Were yes. you at that? Yes, I was. Okay. So that was the first time I met Regis and we're all, we had to take a big photo everyone that was there and we leave the photo when I'm walking next to him. So I'm like, I, this is my one, this is my one chance. So I called my wife at the time. I'm like, Regis is right here. 
I'm going to, she goes, yeah, right. So I said, Regis, do you mind saying hi to someone? He's like, hey, who is it? This is Regis. And it's when Regis is Regis, it sounds like someone doing a Regis impression. So my wife at the time, she's like, yeah, right. Whatever, Regis. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, no, it is Regis. I love it. So that was my one interaction with him. And it was exactly what you'd expect from the man. I think I've used that exact line that he was exactly what you hoped and expected him to be, that he jumped into being the Regis you knew and loved upon, like as if like just he could summon it and he could summon it. But I remember introducing him to many people, including I guess on the show, you know, for whom they were coming to see him most of all. But he just, you know, he had that thing about him. And he also, I feel, is the only person in American life who is just so um, belovedly deployed third person. Usually when someone speaks about themselves in the third person, Dan, yeah, it's not great. You know, no. if Jason starts talking about Jason's wants and needs, it just sounds terrible. Regis, if Regis does it, it's amazing. So you'd have things like you'd pass by his office and he'd be like, hey, come in here. Regis doesn't want to eat by himself, you know? <laughs> it was amazing. You know, it's exactly yeah. what you want. I, I saw someone uh, explain it. They said Regis loved being on TV and he loved everything that came with it, while other people would be like, ah, I'm done shooting. I can go home. And But he wanted people to come up to him. He It wasn't an act, it almost seems like. He was just always on. He was just always oh, yeah. Regis. Uh, he, he very true. He had this amazing producer, a guy named Vin Rubino, who was with him for a very long time through a bunch of shows. And you know, whenever anybody would say like, "Ah, oh, Regis is," I can't believe Regis is eighty-one years old, eighty-two years old. He looks amazing. I can't believe how great he looks. And Vin would always say like, "He's worked one hour a day for seventy years." <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> He's yeah. not exactly working in a copper mine, okay? Like he is, uh, he is, um, you know, a creature of television through and through. And talk about uh, getting into every event that you'd ever want in New York, where he lived. It's Regis. I want to come. It's Regis. Like, did he ever have to even make a reservation, or he just walks into places? Probably. No, but he was a little bit like uh, kind of like a domestic short-haired cat. He did only liked certain things, and he liked his life to be very ordered. So he really only went to like three different restaurants. He had a very regimented life. Like he had everything down to a science. When he did, you know, sort of the peak of his fame was, you know, obviously the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire run, and he had the Live with Regis and, and Kelly and Kathy Lee years. He lived across from the ABC studios in a big tower right across the street from West 66. And I remember asking him, because the hair and makeup would come to his apartment in the morning to do his hair and makeup. They wouldn't like, he wouldn't come over and do wardrobe, hair and makeup. He'd do it all in the apartment. People would come over. And I was like, the show went on the air at 9 a.m. live. I was like, what is the latest you could leave your apartment to get on the show? And he said, I would leave at 8.50 a.m. <laughs> and, and, the, and the other thing, Dan, I'll tell you, like when he did Crowd Goes Wild, we would 
just finished waving goodbye and you would see his town car peel out of the lot. And I was like, that's how you stay in TV for 60 years. You're not sitting around drinking beers with everybody afterwards. You're just on the road, hit the road. See you later. I'll see you tomorrow. Jason, looks like we've uh, reached the end of our time. I will leave people with this. If they only have one person to follow on Twitter, I would say it's you. And I'm not saying that to pander to the audience, to pander to you. I mean that because you are legit funny on Twitter. So if Twitter survives and Elon Musk doesn't burn it to the ground, which it looks like it's going to happen, you follow him. It's very easy at Jason Gay. And his new book is I Wouldn't Do That If I Were Me. It is going to be in every stocking in Canada uh, this Christmas. And I believe uh, it's going to be a great gift. I really appreciate it, Dan. You know, I love you. And thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, I will settle to be, you know, one of the top 40 million uh, follows on Twitter. Because nowadays I see people are following 18,000 people. And I'm like, how is that possible? That's like, you know, carrying around a small country in your pocket. <laughs> I don't get it. As I said, it's too much info. All we too need much. is your tweet. And if we just followed you, if everyone just followed you and no one else, it'd be the world would be a better place because you... Sp- send out funny stuff so i appreciate that but you you you'd you'd probably have less money and gain weight i think that that was that (laughs) thanks my friend thanks dan jason gay follow him on twitter at jason gay the name of his book i wouldn't do that if i were me there's two presents already figured out for you you got your 10 fed candles oh excuse me excuse me that's some uh, cherry Coke. Mentioned last week, you can't get cherry Coke in cans. My friend Perry dropped off a case of it. Cherry Coke in a can. Delicious. You get your 10 fed candles. You got Jason Gay's book. I wouldn't do that if I were me. That's all your presents you need. Candles and a book. Two things that'll get used. So many presents don't get used. Don't get gift cards. It's impersonal. Get a book and a candle. You're done. Shopping, you're done. Thanks for listening. Make sure you uh, you hug someone and make sure you're nice to people. It doesn't cost you a single thing. See you next time. Welcome to Boomsies with Daniel Toosie. Live from Orno in the heart of Ontario. Oh, baby, Boomsies. Thanks for listening to Boomsies.